0: Let's pray as we open God's Word. Father, we thank you for another morning, another Sunday morning that we get to come as a church family to open your Word, to consider what it has to say. We thank you for the revelation that you have given us. Uh, we pray that you would be with us as we consider heaven today. And so I pray that you would bless this time and be glorified in it. In Jesus' name, amen. When I was a freshman in high school, I ran track. uh, And my event was the 400 meters. If you don't know anything about track, 400 meters is one lap. It's considered the longest sprint. uh, Because you sprint from the starting block to the finish line. But I didn't enjoy running. It was just something to do, something to be a part of team sports. And so I wasn't excited to compete. Because it takes a lot out of you when you sprint for 400 meters. And I didn't like the nerves of everyone watching me run. So there I was on race day at Kizar Stadium. And I was getting on the starting block and I was trying to psych myself up. I would tell myself, in one minute, this is all over. And so the starting pistol goes off, and I would go all out, and I would run my race as fast as my little legs could take me. And if you've ever seen a track, it's got four turns. The first turn is easy. You've got adrenaline. Your legs are fresh. But by that last turn, you're gassed. And it's all willpower. But the great thing about that last turn is that you can see the end. And so you've probably heard the expression, keep your eyes on the prize. And in running, that means keeping your eyes on the finish line. But I hated running. And so when I would turn that last corner, I would be looking straight ahead with determination. But my eyes were not just fixed on the finish line. They were fixed on what lied just beyond the finish line. I had my eyes set on my own prize, those golden arches. No, not heaven, but something almost as golden. McDonald's. Because as some of you may remember, there used to be a McDonald's across the street from Keysar Stadium. And it was situated in such a way that as you took that last turn, you could look past the finish line and see those beautiful golden arches. And so since McDonald's was across the street, all the track kids would go there to get a snack during the meet. But I was a good kid. So I wasn't going to have my coach see me eat McDonald's before my race, but after my race, those golden french fries would be mine. I had my heart set on my french fry finish line. And that is what helped me finish my race, with everything that I had. And in the same way, our Christian life is a race. But if we don't have our eyes fixed on what lies just beyond the finish line, we will dread running. I chose this topic today in light of all the things that our church has been learning Pastor Ray has spent 10 weeks walking us through 1 Peter and teaching us what it means to be a sojourner. He taught us about our migration as sojourners, and as such, we are not citizens of this world, but we long for our eternal home because our hope is in heaven. And then last week in our study of Hebrews 9, Pastor Henry reminded us that there was the Old Testament tabernacle, and that tabernacle was a mere picture of what was to come. The tabernacle and then the temple was just a foreshadow, a model of what heaven would be like. We learned that the tabernacle, in the tabernacle, God dwelt with his people, but it was limited and conditional. It was simply a prototype to heaven when God will dwell with his people and our access is unlimited, and unconditional. And so I wanted to take some time this morning to consider what heaven has in store for us. Because a proper view of heaven will excite and motivate us in our daily living. As we struggle, as we walk through life, a proper view of heaven will motivate us, will energize us. Because here's the problem. Often, We don't want heaven. And that's because we've bought into the lie that heaven is boring. Because we don't often really study heaven. And therefore, we base our view of heaven on Hollywood movies and oil paintings. And thus, we have an unbiblical, low view of heaven. We think of it as some long worship service. That there's just organ and harp music. We think of it as maybe a year-long sermon for years and years, sermon after sermon. Or we think of it as flying in the clouds with baby angels. Or maybe we think of it as a floating around as a spirit in a tranquil abyss and it's just silent, broken up maybe every once in a while by a dabble of Gregorian chants. This is what I used to think. So when people would tell me, set your mind on heaven, live for eternity, I would be like, "Mm, okay, but my life here is better. My friends are here. My family is here. My money is here. My comforts are here. My shoe collection is here. We've become so entranced by the momentary pleasures of this world that we think that this is as good as it's going to get. Now, some of these things are good, but the reality is they won't last. We're so preoccupied with the fleeting treasures of earth. Because we don't know about the permanent treasure that awaits us in heaven. And so today I want us to study what the Bible has to say about heaven because heaven is truly amazing. And to do that, we're going to anchor in Revelation chapters 21 and 22. But we're also going to jump around to some supporting passages to see how the Bible gives us clues about our heavenly finish line. Let me just say up front that this is not an exhaustive study on heaven. Uh, It's just a flyover to pique your interest on studying it yourselves and to look forward to heaven. So let's read Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 to 4. This is the Apostle John, and he writes, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. or pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Today we're going to study three resurrected features of our eternal heaven. Three resurrected features of our eternal heaven. Let me give them to you. First, the resurrected earth, and then second, the resurrected bodies, and third, resurrected relationships. So let's Look at the first feature, resurrected earth, in Revelation 21, verse 1. Let's read that again. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. So this is where we are, Revelation chapter 21. As you can tell, we're at the end of the Bible. Let me clue you in on what's happened in Revelation chapters uh, 1 to 20. John right now is telling us about the end times. Even for us in 2023, this is the future. These things have not yet happened. And a lot goes on in in those chapters, in 1 to 20. But here we are now in Revelation 21, and we are at the end of it all. By this point, Satan and the demons have once and for all been thrown into the eternal lake of fire, never again to escape. Unbelievers and and those who have rejected God... They have been sentenced to destruction, to pay for their own sins in the lake of fire as well. All judgment has taken place, and God has destroyed the earth with fire. We are now at the last two chapters of the Bible, and we are literally at the end of the world. And now John directs our attention to heaven. To clarify, when I say heaven today, I'm referring to what theologians call the eternal state. This is the final resting place for God and believers. Now that that word, eternal state, uh, may sound very technical and nerdy, but I'm explaining it to you because I think you can handle it. Because I've heard these words thrown out in adult one Sunday school, so you're fine. Let me explain. When we talk about heaven throughout the Bible and you see that word and you read that word in the Bible, the word heaven refers to three different places or can refer to one of three places. Let me give them to you. The first is the atmospheric heaven, second is the planetary planetary heaven, and third is the third heaven. The first two are pretty straightforward. These are words that we understand. Atmospheric, so the sky, the atmosphere, Second is also pretty straightforward, planetary. So that's the moon, the sun, the stars, it's space. But the third one is where there may be some confusion. The third term is the third heaven. This is the dwelling place of God. This is holy angels. This is deceased saints. This is where Jesus ascends to. This is God's current command post. The third heaven is where God is currently, but it's not the final dwelling place. This third heaven is where Paul is caught up to in 2 Corinthians 12 2. This is the paradise that Jesus refers to in Luke 23, 43. But theologians call this temporary dwelling the intermediate state. As you can tell by the word intermediate, it's the in-between it's where we go now when we die, but it's not the final dwelling place of God or man. So that's why it's the intermediate state, and then comes, after that, the eternal state. Second Peter chapter three, verses 11 to 13. Peter writes, "Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness?" waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are, now, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Peter tells us that the current heavens and the current earth will be destroyed, and we await a new heavens and a new earth. Revelation chapter 21, verse 1, John is saying the same thing. The first heaven and the first earth have passed away. And John tells us that here comes a new heaven and a new earth in Revelation 21, verse 5. This word new doesn't just mean new in chronological order. But as one writer says, it means new in the sense that one has become the or the old has become obsolete and should be replaced by what is new in such a case as a rule superior to the old so this new heavens and this new earth is going to be far superior to anything that we have now so what does the superior new earth look like the new earth is resurrected it's a resurrected earth. God destroys the earth with fire, but then the Bible says that he renews it. He restores it in Colossians 1.20. Just like God resurrected the body of Jesus Christ and gave him a glorified body, so he will do with the earth. He will give the earth a body, an earthly body, that would never decay that won't be affected by sin any longer. There's no sin in this new earth. God will resurrect creation itself, the earth itself, at the end of time, and earth will be finally free from the bondage of sin. Romans 8.19 tells us that creation itself looks forward to its resurrected body, the new superior resurrected earth so what does this resurrected earth look like for the sake of time i'm going to give you some highlights of the resurrected earth again this is not exhaustive this is not all that the new earth will be like but i pulled out some highlights of things that we can look forward to the first highlight is that it has cities revelation 21 verse 10 and he carried me away in the Spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God. The new Jerusalem comes down. There's a lot that, be, that can be said about the size and beauty of this new Jerusalem, but we're not going to get into all that detail. For our purposes this morning, let me summarize by saying the new Jerusalem will be very big, And it will be very beautiful. But most importantly, it will be very real. It's a real city. And we know about cities. What characterizes a city? Cities are dense human settlements. Cities have buildings, culture, people, arts, music, athletics, commerce, events, and so many more things we understand what cities are like we have a picture of what cities are like we understand that and heaven will have those same things because in revelation 21 after we learn that god is the source of light in heaven john writes in verse 24 so this is revelation 21:24. by its light meaning god will the nations walk And the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations. Nations. There are nations. There are kings. There are various kings of earth, and they will come into the new Jerusalem. They will come from around the world, in and out of this new Jerusalem. People and kings from other cities will come to worship and do commerce in the new Jerusalem. There are kings and nations, but no wars. Do You notice here that the gates never shut. In the ancient Near East, the gates would shut at night because it's dangerous. You don't know if someone's going to attack, and when you're actually getting attacked. They would close the gates, obviously, makes sense. But here, the gates never shut. Why? Because there are no wars. Because there will be kings and there will be nations. But because there is no sin, for the first time there will be lasting, true world peace. Because it says that the kings will bring into it the glory and honor of the nations. This is talking about the various... Culturally culturally unique things that nations will be known for. We understand this. When you go on vacation, you bring back souvenirs, not of things that you can buy easily in America, but you usually buy souvenirs of things that that land, that country is known for. Something that is special to that culture. You bring that back. Same goes for heaven. The kings of the new earth will bring their culturally unique gifts to honor the high king, Jesus. And this high king will sit in the new Jerusalem. Because let me remind you that God commanded Adam and Eve to multiply and fill the earth before the fall. So on the resurrected earth... God is accomplishing that plan. Redeemed people can fill the redeemed earth now without sin. And some of us may think about cities, and when you think about a city, you might say, well, I don't like cities because of the crime, the pollution, the traffic, the corruption. But then you think about it, these are only consequences of sin. We may not like these aspects of cities, Because we've only experienced cursed cities. We've only experienced fallen cities. But these heavenly cities that we look forward to will be free of that curse, free from sin. Can you with me imagine the new San Francisco with no sin? Which means that there's no crime. There's no hate. There's no violence. There's no diseases, there's no pain, there's no suffering, there's no traffic, there's no fear, there's no living paycheck to paycheck, there's no one on the streets starving. Seeing the fallenness of our city should make us cry out in anticipation for these redeemed cities in the future. We understand cities, and these cities will also be diverse. Revelation chapter, two, uh, chapter 7, verse 9, John writes this, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Heaven will be made up of citizens who are both diverse in ethnicity and culture, yet united in Christ. We saw the mention of kings in Revelation 21 But here we also see the representation from every nation, all tribes, people groups, languages. That is to say, culture is not done away with in heaven. Instead, it is wiped clean from sin and made perfect. Because there is no sin, there will be kings and nations and culture and yet no wars. Every king, every country... Every city will perfectly submit to the high king, Jesus. The second thing I want, the highlight I want to bring up is that the new earth ultimately is a return to Eden. Let's look to chapter 22, verses 1 to 2, Revelation 22, verse 1. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its twelve kinds of fruit yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. The new earth has a tree at the center, a river of life, fruit that is always in season. These Things, as you read verses 1 and 2, they should call you back to the Garden of Eden. They should help you picture what happened in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, the beginning of the Bible. Because in the Garden of Eden, there was many trees that had fruit, and at the center was the tree of life. And now here we are in Revelation 22, at the last chapter of the Bible, the end of the Bible, and John here describes that heaven will have fruit. At its center, the tree of life. A tree that will be fed by a river that flows directly from God himself. You notice that the river flows from the throne of God itself. God is the source of the water that runs and feeds the tree. And from that, the tree will bear fruit each month. Think about that fruit that will come from the tree of life whose source is God himself. That is going to be the best fruit that we will ever experience, that we will ever taste, because its source is God himself. That is ultimate farm to table. This is a resurrected Eden. What do we know about Eden? Well, we just talked about it. Eden has trees and fruits and rivers. But think about another aspect of Eden. Eden had animals. The new earth will have animals. But these animals will be unaffected by the curse. No longer affected by sin. There will no longer be predator and prey. Isaiah chapter 11, 6-9 and, uh, and chapter 65 verse 17 and 25 and Isaiah sixty six twenty two they talk about what it's like that they, we will have animals living with humans and each other in harmony. That we will be experienced animals unaffected by the curse. Eden is a literal, physical place with physical beings, with humans, animals, plants. The new earth will be a literal, physical place with human beings, animals, and plants. The new earth is a physical place, and so is the new heavens. In this case, heavens is referring to the atmosphere. and space, there will be resurrected celestial objects. There will be space. This is the heaven that I want to go to. It's not some disembodied worship service in some mystical spiritual realm. This is a resurrected earth with its earthly properties, just perfect without sin. But it gets better. This is like an infomercial on heaven. But wait, it gets better. Earth is not the only thing that gets resurrected. We do too. So the first heavenly feature was a resurrected earth. The second heavenly feature is resurrected bodies. God created mankind, both body and spirit. We understand that. We believe that Adam and Eve were physical, real human beings. And yes, they were also given a spirit. But God intentionally made them both physical and spiritual. That wasn't a mistake. Adam and Eve had body and soul that were made perfect until they fell into sin. And then sin entered the world and corrupted everything, both body and spirit. But God didn't ditch mankind. He didn't ditch his creation. He had a plan. And this wasn't his plan B. This was his plan A all along. Man would sin, but then God would send His Son to redeem mankind, and then He would resurrect His children and creation itself. This was the plan that God decided that would give Him the most glory. He would resurrect a better, more glorious earth, and then give man a better, more glorious body to live on it. So God doesn't scrap the plan and just make us spirits in heaven. No. Both body and spirit resurrected in heaven. Paul tells us this in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 50. Paul writes, I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment... In the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. And then Paul writes in Philippians chapter 3, verse 20, But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. So God will resurrect the new heavens and new earth, and then he will give us glorified bodies to inhabit it. And Paul is telling us that these glorified bodies will be like Christ's resurrected body. A body that will not decay, not hurt, not break down, not get old, not die. Revelation 21 verse 4, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. When we get our resurrected bodies, when we get our glorified bodies, there will be no more crying, no more pain, no more mourning. Those things will be done away with. Those were the former things that have now passed. The former earth has passed away, and with it, the former things that corrupted our world and our bodies. But remember, We will be physical beings. And as physical beings, God designed us to work. Let me remind you that God commanded Adam and Eve to work before the fall. Work is not a result of the fall, and yet struggling at work is a result of the fall, result of sin. And so there will be resurrected earth, uh, resurrected work. Revelation 22, verse 3 No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. And as we understand, worship is not just singing songs. Worship is living. That we should be glorifying and worshiping God in every aspect of our life. That we ought to be worshiping God in our daily living. In everything that we do, it should be worshiped to God. And so it will be in heaven. But remember, it's freed of sin and the effects of sin. So imagine being freed to use all your gifts, your talents, the passions that God has given you, and yet you can do and work without all the drama, without the fear of making mistakes, without typos, without imperfections. If you love math, Imagine being able to compute with heavenly perfection. If you like to paint, imagine painting with glorified imagination. If you like to write, think about the stories, the books, the blogs that you can write with a perfect mind. If you love to play sports, think about being able to play with no physical hindrances, without being, fear, being fearful that you're going to get hurt or getting angry on the court. If you love to sing, think about having glorified vocal cords. If you love to garden, think about doing so with no pests or gophers destroying your crops. If you love to bake, think about all the things you can make with those fruits and putting that into your baked goods. If you love engineering, think about the new technology, and the new designs that you can come up, the new inventions you can come up with. Because we'll even have heavenly systems of measure. Revelation 21, 17. You can look that up later. And maybe the things that you love doing are not what you do now. Maybe it's not the job that you have now, but the job that you dreamed of doing. Your heavenly career could be anything. Because you won't need to settle for a random job just to make ends meet. You won't be trapped in a job just because you need a paycheck. Imagine that in heaven, you'll be doing what you love doing because you'll be doing what God has designed you for, the gifting, the abilities that he has given you, the things that he, that he has given you to love, to love and express. But you'll be able to do that without toiling against fallen, sinful creation. You'll be able to do what God has made you to do without sin in your own heart. You'll be able to do what God has made you to do without the sins of others bringing you down. Imagine doing what you love doing and doing it in a way where God gets the glory and perfectly. Imagine writing code reading books, taking care of animals, playing video games, and God receives every ounce of glory that he deserves for it. That's what he designed us for. That's what this new earth will be like. It's like being a child, knowing that whatever you do, you're pleasing your Father. All this, using your gifting, doing what you love, what God has created you to do, designed you to do, and you get to do it without getting tired, without needing a vacation, without needing a break, without your boss micromanaging you, without office politics, without the pressure to get the right grades or rise in the ranks or climb the corporate ladder, without the fear of what others think, If you're like me, at this point, you should be even more excited to go to heaven. But wait, it gets better. First, we learned about the resurrected earth, then our resurrected bodies, and that leads to the third heavenly feature, resurrected relationships. Turn to Revelation 22, verses 3 to 4. Verse 3, no longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will, know, they will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. God doesn't just restore the earth. He doesn't just restore our bodies. He also restores our relationship to Himself. So that's the first aspect of resurrected relationships, is that we get a restored relationship with God. We will have a perfect relationship with God. We will see Him as He is. This is amazing because remember, even Moses, because of his sinful flesh, because he was sinful man, could not look at the glory of God. In Exodus 33 verse 20, God says to Moses, you cannot see my face, man cannot see me and live. But in heaven, as his children, we will dwell with God and we will see him as he is and we will see his face. God's presence had always been veiled to his people. Remember, the presence of God was limited to the tabernacle or to the temple, and even then it was limited to the Holy of Holies, and one person could enter. And that was just the mere presence of God. No one could see the face of God, not even the high priest. But now the whole new heavens and new earth is filled with his people, and they will see his face. He will be the light source. We will see His glory. It will be filled with His glory. And we, as believers, will see His face. In heaven, there is no separation between us and God. Our relationship with God at that point is eternally fixed. And we will experience Him like never before, without end, forever, And ever, God will finally once and for all dwell among his people. And this is what it means to have a return to Eden. Mankind now has unrestricted access to God. Our sin is dealt with, wiped away by Jesus' blood. And now we will walk with God like Adam did in the garden. And we will be able to look straight onto God's face. Revelation 21, verse 3, let me tie verse 21, verse 3, and 22, verse 4 together. The dwelling place, the tabernacle of God, is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God, 22, verse 4, and they will see his face. This is what Adam and Eve was looking forward to from the moment they fell. This is what Moses was asking for when he wanted to see the glory of God. This is what King David longed for when he cried out to God. This is what every Old Testament and New Testament follower of God has longed for. A time when we will dwell with God with unrestricted access. But there's another great truth. There's a a byproduct of this. The byproduct of having a fixed relationship with God Means that we now have a fixed relationship with the other citizens of heaven. So that's the second aspect of resurrected relationships, a restored relationship with others. Because think about heaven there is no sin. And so if you're not sinning against me and I'm not sinning against you, there is no interpersonal conflict. There is no need for biblical counseling in heaven. Think about that. Think about the heavenly relationships. We'll have these perfect heavenly relationships, but there will be no drama. There will be no fighting. There will be no insults. There will be no hurt feelings. No misunderstandings. These are the relationships that we want, we long for, These are the friendships we'll have in heaven. These are relationships that we will have because our relationships will be perfected and also resurrected from sin. Do you see what kind of place this is? Do you see what kind of place the Bible describes heaven to be? It's not boring. Church, this is the prize that lies just beyond our finish line. When we have our eyes fixed on heaven, on this prize... It makes the trials and the pains and the sufferings of earth much more manageable. This is not to demean anything that we go through, big or small. We will face pain in this life. We will face suffering. We may face persecution. But the truth about heaven is what should energize us, even in the midst of those things. When, a believer, when the believer has their eyes fixed on this correct theology of heaven, we can do what seems impossible. You have a hope that is not perishable. You have a hope that Satan himself cannot take away. You have a hope that no circumstance can take away. This is the heaven that the apostles could fix their eyes on when they face certain death. This is the heaven that the martyrs throughout church history had their eyes fixed on when they refused to recant. This is the heaven that believers right now are clinging to as they face persecution and trials. This is the heaven that we need to cling to when the darkness is all around us, when people tempt us to doubt God's word, when we feel alone. When the world has left us, when people let us down, when our family lets us down, when our enemies are beating us down, when we lose people we care about, or when our dreams go unfulfilled, this is the heaven that no one can take away from us. This is the heaven that God promises But all of that were for the Christians in the room. All of that is for the believers in the room. Now I turn to those of you in this room. At this point, you don't know God. And to be very honest with you, you don't have this heaven to look forward to. You don't know this hope. But if you want this heaven... If you want this resurrected earth to have that resurrected body, to have a resurrected relationship with God and others, I have some good news for you. It costs you nothing. There is no payment plan. There is no amount of church meetings you must first attend. There's no amount of prayers you must first offer up. All you have to do is believe. All you have to do is believe that Jesus Christ, God himself, died on the cross for your sins and rose again three days later. That Jesus paid for every sin that you have committed or ever will commit. That Jesus took your eternal punishment when he died on the cross and rose again. And when he rose again, he had that glorified body that we talked about. And that meant that he sealed your payment. And now he offers you eternal heaven. And all you have to do is trust and believe that Jesus is God and he died for your sins. And if you do that, you gain everything that I just talked about. You gain everything that the Bible has to say about heaven. You get to live on that resurrected earth, in that resurrected body, with resurrected relationships between you and God and you and others. So I urge you right now, don't wait. Take some time now. Assess your heart. Take some time after the service. Figure out where you're at. And if you want this heaven, just simply believe. This is a snapshot of what we have to look forward to in heaven. Again, not exhaustive but these are the things that we talked about. These are the things that we have to look forward to as believers. And it's with that anticipation, let us live our lives with extreme hope and joy because we are sojourners. This is not our home. So let us live with hope and joy because we know about the glories of our eternal home that lie just beyond our finish line. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for uh, your word and the fact that you revealed heaven to us. We look forward to it, even though there is more than we can comprehend. We just scratched the surface this morning, and so we thank you for it. Uh, We thank you for the fact that you ransomed your people. You redeemed us. You did all the work by Jesus paying our debt on the cross. I pray for those who don't know you yet, that you would help them to believe their spirit would work and soften their hearts now to help them to want this heaven and to place their faith in you. I thank you now. uh, We pray that you would energize us as we go uh, to live in light of heaven uh, this week. In Jesus' name, amen.